Okay, so it's definitely so a test. We're running, <laughs> we're, running, we're running as a test, but the the idea is anyway that that we can start, we can start a a, a podcast that's very much focused on technology and imaging. Um, if you remember a while ago, we talked about about doing something around the whole idea of the future of the digital image and the uh, the way that that camera technology and imaging technology was changing that and and the way that that changes what photography is for and um, and you know what role it, it takes in our lives as well and Mike you're um, you know you've been you've been involved in the use of camera technology for a long long time now <laughs> no, no, no <laughs> well, well you well, you well you know you're you're as old as me, at least, and um, and so any anyone of our age who's who's been doing photography has seen a kind of dramatic changes um, in in the whole thing. I was talking this morning in the uh, a class we were doing on the new te new technologies and the way technology moves forward, um, and I'm talking to a classroom of, of twenty year olds who've really not experienced photography significantly before the digital era and it seems to them often looking back on it like there was a sudden like there might have been a sudden revolution a sudden change over to these new things uh, after which nothing you know no one uses film anymore and, and and nothing is the same again and and really trying to trying to get them to understand how these kind of revolutionary changes in technology happen slowly happen by multiple things coming multiple vectors coming together to form something new there's, there's a lot of very small changes, performative little gains that have occurred, which seem to add up to a big change. But I still think there are actually some one or two large significant changes that have made a difference. Some of those may be a long time ago, like the CCD or the, the chips, etc. But I think even then there are clearly big um, differences um, which have come along that, that make it significantly different. But more often than not, it is lots of small changes. The, the whole move at the moment towards full-size full 35mm chips, whatever that might mean, full-frame chips, which still refers back to, obviously, film, um, that's not a, a revolution. It's not mm -hmm. a huge change. It's a very small difference from just making a little chip a little bit bigger. Obviously, in on engineering terms and a, a production terms, terms, it's it's big for the companies. It's, it's a lot of effort, and there's a very small um, success rate on because there's a larger chance of failure of uh, producing these chips. But in terms of the technology and how we use it, it's not much. In fact, actually, what we end up with is going back to the pre the start of the digital era because it's now making cameras like we used them back before the year 2000 mm. and it's back to the same kind of field of view the same kind of depth of field that you had with a 35 mil camera you don't get that until now yeah. and that's that's the changes but there's just still small gains in performance it's not a huge difference what is interesting is where there are perhaps one or two big differences um, and but I think those are ones from a long term ago perhaps the really the usage of the LCD screen is a big difference on cameras yeah that's that's a a real change 
perhaps in terms of the way it's used. I guess I yeah. guess that would be the big. If you if you were coming from, you know, take someone from nineteen eighty seven, someone who's <clears throat> using. Uh, pro level or high end cameras uh, from from that time and and move them forward to uh, to now in time and mm. we just give them give them the latest camera give them a, i don't know a a, a 600d or a, or give them a nikon um 700 yeah. you know, d700 um that yeah, they'd be familiar then with with the the lenses, the paradigms of the lenses, what lenses you use for different fields of view, yeah. the coverage of the viewfinder, yeah. the frame size, all all of that would be familiar. With, where, where the where the uh, shutter button is, yeah, all all of those things that have been established over a long long yeah. long periods and have emerged. They they would obviously recognize the camera as one that had a, a, a no manual drive on it so yeah. a motor, it would be familiar from a motor drive mm -hmm. kind of kind of camera so no um, film transport visibility yeah. on the outside but the big change would be that well maybe maybe a couple maybe the big the L big one would be the LCD on the back of yeah. back of it and the fact that the whole interface was um, operated through buttons and menus that's that's a big significant change mm -hmm. but but also the cameras are seem rather bigger and more expensive i don't think they're necessarily more expensive um if you go back um a camera would still and uh, and a professional level camera would still cost you a month's wage and i think they still do yeah, okay so more or less yeah, so i mean you're not okay some at the very high end are significantly more expensive but if you're looking at something like um um, a, a reasonably good Canon or Nikon, then you are still looking at basically a month's wage. So in adjusted terms, yeah. they're, they're probably the equivalent. What they is, just feel more expensive somehow. What is different perhaps is lenses are, have become more expensive. They have become considerably bigger. Yeah. And so have the camera bodies. And I find the, the whole size thing interesting. Um, uh, the last couple of days looking at uh, manual focus lenses, completely manual lenses, um, they are still significantly bigger than a manual focus lens of the same aperture and the same focal length from 20 years ago. Why is that? There is a change in the, des um, the optical design of some of these lenses and they're trying to um, um, change the the basic design of them to get more light in and to and probably to get the quality because obviously um, a digital camera now actually resolves higher than film mm. so we're dealing with cameras which are much better mm. than we were with film now, people will argue about the quality of, of the feel of image but is actually higher yeah. resolving power so in terms of, so it's just something that happened in in hd filming as well in terms of moving image production yeah. they noticed that that hd di digital video reveals imperfections in things in subject in particularly you know, i'm thinking of effects models that was about um, on star wars the, the transition from the star wars prequels from from shooting film to shooting digital that the 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 quality and detail required of the model makers were had to be significantly upped because the the resolution of hd 
digital video was revealing imperfections in the model. Yeah. And so is this the case, same case then, that the, the Im optical imperfections were less noticeable on film? That's certainly the case. I think also, though, I've got one particular lens, which is a very old design in terms of a, very, a, a standard classical design of optics, yet it's still one of the sharpest lenses on the new high-resolution um, digital cameras. Mm. So I'm not sure. I mean, it's not a wide aperture lens, so therefore there is an issue um, maybe that these new wide aperture lenses need all of that extra. But mm. they just seem big and heavy, all these lenses. Um, even cheaper ones are... I guess there's heavy. electronics to an extent in mm. all of them, and even the manual focus lenses yeah. are you know, are highly coupled to the camera body yes. and are transmitting a lot of data back and forth. So there's chips in there that tell the camera mm. body what, what kind of lens you've got yeah. on it and what you know and can adjust for all of that. That doesn't necessarily affect the size of the lens, though. Mm -hmm. Not really. Those chips can be quite small and and you can still have a pancake lens, which is yeah. digitally yeah, sure. digitally so something about coupled. the design, the optical design. I think it's the optical design. The, the trends in optical design. It's, it's worth a look at it, but certainly also the size of camera bodies, watching that continually increase. <laughs> every single model is getting bigger yeah. um, and heavier. Yeah, although I was refreshed. I'm refreshed by the uh, certainly the the. the EOS 600D yeah. that it that it does feel. I mean, it's still a still a big camera. If you were to compare, if I were to go back and and, and look at you know the the old F FE2 you used to yeah. use or the or the T70 or even the T90 that it's I used bigger. to use that felt mm. the T90 felt like a big camera yes. at the time. It felt like a significant extra bolted on weight almost. Mm. You know that this here was the motor drive integrated into it and a big heavy grip with batteries and all of this. But but I'm sure now comparing it with a with a six hundred D we'd still know it would feel quite small. Um but there it does seem at least to be a little little tiny dip back on that 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 smaller bodied cameras are starting to happen at a quality let yeah. end of things. Well you have things like this new compact camera from uh, Sony, which there still has a full-size sensor on it and a fixed lens, and that obviously they've been able to get the electronics into a very small yeah. package, uh, so it is possible. Um, I think that's probably one of the best examples of small gain engineering yes. to try and get that into it that seems small like package. Real, real miniaturization and the integration of the yeah. lens and the body yeah. to get the back focusing elements right up they're right up against that yeah. sensor in there so that takes some clever optical design to cover the yeah. the, the size of the sensor uh, with with the lens that close to it I'm guessing um, well it it then makes it a little bit more like um, the old rangefinders where you had that ability to uh, have the back elements so close to the or so much closer mm. to the fr uh, to the film um, because of the mirrorless Design. Yeah. yeah, and I think that helps with all of these mirrorless designed cameras now. Uh, so they're all very good like that. But that particular uh, um, Sony, the RX one, was it? RX one um, was is quite impressive in terms of the of the size of getting everything else down small. So it is possible, and and perhaps we'll begin to see some good quality. Uh, DSLRs at a smaller size. One would hope to see even, even reducing the size a little bit more. 
but it, there's this there's this perception perhaps that a big camera means better quality. I've no idea, but there seems to be this feeling you you're a professional if you've got a big camera in your <laughs> that's hand. That's the weight. It's the weight of it. The whole feel of the yeah. whole thing, isn't it? I'm not using a compact camera. I've got something heavy. Of course, there's the there's the weight of being able to hold it steady, which is important. A yeah. small camera is hard is harder to hold steady, but there does seem to have been over the last ten years this uh, inexorable kind of shift towards these gigantic pieces of man jewelry. Um, yeah, and and I I can't carry one round my neck anymore. It's just too <laughs> heavy. Um, but yeah, it it means everything gets bigger. You have to have a bigger bag. You weighs more. Everything's got got that little bit heavier. Um, I might draw produce a picture just showing all the different lenses I've got of different sizes yes. and the cameras because it, it is quite interesting to look at those even though particularly with the camera bodies I've had over the years they are all at the same technical level mm. um, yeah. they've just got bigger well it'd be interesting to do that kind of size comparison and to do a weight comparison of a yeah. kind of comparable camera bags o over a 30 year period <laughs> It would be it would be interesting to see what you you know what you were carrying back in your twenties. Yeah. In terms of the two bodies, the yes decent range of of prime lenses mm. and maybe a zoom or two, and the flash gun and compare that with with now, a couple of bodies, <laughs> a decent range of prime lenses, yeah, all full frame of course. I think the only thing that's got smaller is the flash guns. Yeah. And they've got a little bit smaller, and that's it. <laughs> Um, they have sort of stayed at the same kind of weight and size, but that may be because it's not one of these, as you say, man jewellery things yeah. of, of having big cameras. But I think it is an issue um, in terms of getting the, that kind of quality feel into a lot of people's hands. If you've got a big camera, it's quite difficult to... So okay at a pro level, you can do all your gym exercises to get big muscles to carry this well, stuff. they're used to it. And you get used to it, but getting that into every everyday use is going to be yes yeah, so, certainly that's talking talking to um to chan yin um who and she and she's been resistant of most slrs you know she's she's stayed with amateur level dslrs mm. where where possible um even though she's she's used and borrowed other other cameras she's tended to say well now when I'm buying my own I will buy the smaller bodied Nikons mm. which tend to be the consumer ones yeah. you know you, you can still put a, a fairly good piece of glass on the front of it and but, but because of smaller hands you know not wanting to cap not wanting to carry all of this stuff around so um, you know, the the uh, other thing that, that's been appealing there is is the move towards small systems so the idea of the EOS M mm. uh, series or the Nikon uh, series, the Nikon, Nikon ones, ones. Um, the, maybe even the the, G, the GF ones and Panasonics and the micro thirds, yeah, thirds, and and to an extent the new the, the last year's the Olympus uh, yeah. OMD um, system, which, which start to offer. SLR features, interchangeable lenses, that those kinds of things in in a, a compact system. The idea yeah. of something you could you could put a few lenses in a body in a, in a bag and um, and carry it around with you without looking like a pro a pro guy photographer, you know, with with massive bags. Uh, and that would seem to be an appealing thing, but it doesn't seem to have 
really um, taken off? I don't know. Is it, a... it it has taken off as a market segment for those people who, I think it more replaced these so-called bridge cameras. Yeah. And that's where it's replaced that kind of area and people who want to move up from a small compact. But I don't see it as people moving down from a, a DSLR quite so much. But maybe. But there seems to still be. I, mean, I guess I'm think for feeling is that there's still significant numbers of people who, when they move up from a compact, look to the standard sized SLRs. Mm. They they go around uh, camera shops. We remember those, and um, and and look at, at at cameras that, as you say, aren't aren't smaller than the cameras that we that we had when we were using film in many cases bigger even the consumer ones um, yet there are these other systems available but it, it seems to me that, that there's somehow perception that in order to get the quality even if it's not true in the particular model they're buying but in order to get that feel of quality and the feel of doing something different and taking images knowingly rather than just snapping them that you've got to have this uh, this kind of weight around your neck Perhaps I think I think there's this clear idea that a DSLR is supposed to give you a better picture. I mean, it's still down to the photographer to take a better picture, but uh, because it gives you more control and you have manual modes and all that, these exist in the in the little what little um, uh, foot micro four thirds and these these compact uh, interchangeable lens models, but. Maybe it's it's the interfaces are a little bit more quirky and a little bit more difficult to use. Yeah, sure. And the fact that you're left with this large screen at the back without any um, feel in the hand, um, maybe that's it. I mean, I always tell people when people ask me, oh, what should I buy, either a Canon or a Nikon, and just say, go to to one of those things called a shop, <laughs> a camera shop, which <laughs> you don't exist anymore, any. um. and try them out. They're, they're as good as each other. Just try one in your hand. Don't look at the specs. Don't look at all the, the online reviews. Go and try it and then work out, you know, you'll feel which one's better than the other to you. That's the best way. And I think maybe that's the difference with some of these micro four-thirds cameras and uh, compact with interchangeable lenses. They, they're they a little bit different. The, I, 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 I'm still looking for the perfect compact camera for me. I haven't found it yet. Um, maybe that Sony RX1 is, but at the price it is, it certainly would be a difficult choice. <laughs> yes. um, but there are beginning to get cameras in that range of a large size sensor with a good prime lens. Nikon have just brought out a Coolpix A, which is uh, just come out yesterday I think it was um, or the day before and that actually has an APS-C an intermediate size chip with a prime lens at around about 28 mil equivalent and that is a camera which is small enough to me to carry around it is still a thousand pounds so we're paying a premium for this kind of compactness in the quality in the bodies you're paying Price, yeah, I think they're now realizing that the people want that kind of quality of camera. Mm. It then starts to get back to having a film quality because a film compact camera before actually was a very good quality camera. We've actually, in the area of compact cameras, 
we've lost quality by going digital. Mm. We've gained convenience, but we've lost quality. Yeah, but we, well, we had excess quality before. Yes. I guess, you know, we Possibly. look at it in that way. There, there was more quality in a 35mm compact camera than most people would ever require of it. It was good enough. For many people, 110 was good, yeah. you know, was good enough. And so, and certainly 126 was good yeah. enough. Um, so, so I guess there was there was a pos potential for moving back, but it you, know, you can't move back too far. You better explain what one one zero and one two six is. <laughs> so There's going to be people who do not know what that means. So these are the these are the kind of film cameras that um, that that happened throughout the seventies, uh, which which are taking but taking film and putting them into a cartridge, into a cassette that's easy to load. And the idea that you know you rather than being able to uh, rather than having to wind film through and wind it back and all of those things, you your film will be contained in a cartridge with two spools, one on either, either end, one holding the film, one to receive it as it's taken, and then you wouldn't have to rewind the film or do anything particular with it. Once the once you'd finished shooting your exposures, you could just take this cartridge out the camera and hand it over to, the, um, to Boots, the chemist. I do find it still amusing that we use all of these film terms for sizes of things for digital cameras, even though they've more or less disappeared, particularly this term APS-C, APS, yes. which is... No, almost nobody will remember really using APS. Yeah, but that's a, a an idea that people have of what that size of chip and camera actually is, because that relates to something sub 35mm. But how many people know that? How yeah. many people who actually buy the cameras? Mm. I, I, I'm guessing quite a few know 35mm. Yeah, they'll have grown up with with that in the kind of mm. just known. But but I'd I'd guess that very few know what an APS uh, camera was. Yeah, and know what that format was. It wasn't successful enough and didn't stick around long enough to be to be known. And certainly, if you've got any APS-C film now, trying to get it processed is very very hard. Yeah. and even trying to get it scanned is very very hard. So these formats do go, and they are a problem that you lose them. Yeah, but, I've got some. I've got some APS cartridges sitting around. But it's also interesting that we relate, um, also we relate uh, the lenses to an angle rather than an angle of view, which therefore could be yeah. considered all lenses can be considered equal. Then, if it's one hundred and ten to yes. uh, fifty-five uh, degree angle of view, then whatever size of camera it is, whatever size of chip, then you've, you know that what that means. But no, we stick with, oh, if this is equivalent to 28 a 28mm to, to 300mm. Which is crazy, because, because I'm sure, that, again, very, a diminishingly small number of people buying compact cameras knew what, know what a 28 to 55 equivalent is, or 28 yeah. to 135 equivalent is. But I'm, I guess it's a useful metric in comparing like with like. You can say this camera has 28mm equivalent, this one here has a 24mm equivalent, this one has a 35 You can kind of say this one's wider than the other. But but if you just use the angle of view, yes, then you, you can could, actually directly you, it, you, yeah. you say this is wider, 110 degrees is wider than 55 But isn't this because this is probably to serve the needs of the, of the company selling and distributing yeah. these things, uh, you know, to serve the needs of, of a Jessops more than to serve the needs of a consumer. I think it's more, it, 
it served the needs of of bridging people who were using film cameras over to digital the difficulty now is that we're now relating everything back to a historic point that nobody really mm. has a an agreement on and will remember certain aspects like APS APS um, as a film format but but the the lens thing you could we could look at it a different way but I don't mind because I'm old and I understand <laughs> what a 35 millimeter lens does for me compared to a 24 millimeter I understand the angle of view the depth of field the um, how much I can get in and the distortion I get but other people perhaps not and when, when you start talking like that well, what does that mean mm. what can I see you have to know a lot more to understand what you get out of some of these compact cameras yeah. um, I still find it very difficult to really understand having a compact camera that has a lens that can go to 300 millimeters or 400 millimeters it doesn't mean anything to me because it's such a strange idea to go that long. Yes, and of, and of course with, with this different size of sensor, you're getting a different um, different levels of depth of field. Yes. Um, and all of that as well, so that's, that's intimately attached, all these numbers. You can't really take the number of the focal length or the, uh, <laughs> the equivalent focal length mm. and, and expect it to mean very much more than just a field of view. And the same goes for the um, aperture number. You get the compact cameras now saying f1.8. That appeals to people who are used to using digital or used to using SLR lenses. That sounds really great. But actually, in, in reality, it isn't. Mm -hmm. Because you're dealing with small chips. You're also dealing with, um, if it's on a zoom lens, it soon disappears down to a much narrower, yeah. um, much smaller aperture. Mm -hmm. So. Again, it's marketing, I think, as much as anything. Yeah, it does seem out of touch with the way the market's go gone, though, and go and going. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it does appeal to the pro end or the prosumer. A horrible word. And but um, I'm not sure it, 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 if a, if you're coming into photography for, for brand new now, I don't know whether I don't think any of these things have any meaning attached to them. They don't. And the problem is that it means you have to learn a whole bunch of stuff that is actually more important historically than it is currently yeah. and and it and it starts confusing people a lot i think a lot of times i've spoken with people who ask questions about photography and things they're still incredibly confused not just by the idea of aperture or shutter speed they're confused by the relative meanings of these things and what does these things when they describe them in a small compact camera mm. so there's a lot of things where you're having they think it sounds really great when you're going well actually it's not as as mm. great as some of these other uh, things you need to look at so there's a lot going on that is being driving the marketing side of things that make people go think oh this is better but potentially it's not always better it's just marketing yeah and and I guess we're gonna get a whole generation now if people move if they are going to move to a physical camera, a discrete camera, they're moving not from another discrete camera, they're moving from a mobile phone. They're moving from a device that, that, that has camera features almost as a software app. Well, I was looking at a camera from Canon yesterday, which is actually designed for the Twitter generation, as the guy was trying to tell me in, at, the, at the show. And it is a, it's actually quite a nice little camera. It's got some strange interface 
elements to it. But it is a very small square camera. The back is purely an LCD monitor. The shutter and the zoom is coaxial around the lens, which is interesting. It means you end up with fingers in front of the camera like you used to <laughs> when you when your parent when your mother was trying to take a picture, there's always a finger in the way. Um, therefore it, it does need it does have some interesting features to it, but it's designed exclusively for people moving up from camera yeah. phones. Yeah, can't you use it? You can use it both ways, up, you, either way up, can't you? You can use it either way up, you can... Um, and this is also similar with some other of the very small video cameras um, for attaching to helmets and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Um, these things can be used in different angles, different ways up, um, but also they're built in with Wi-Fi to send it straight to your iPad, um, distribute it straight out. So there's a lot of obviously processing in the camera in the camera which that's the same with your phone what's different is that one I don't think actually has um, an operating system like um, some of the other ones now like Nikon have produced an Android based camera mm. uh, I'd be interested to see what those are like in terms of how well the um, the software works and how speedy it is to process when you have the uh, image processing pipes of the big cameras, they are there to process the image in a very good way. Obviously, with, with all of these um, software apps which degrade your image, they're there to do something else, but it'd be interesting to see what kind of chips they have in these cameras and how that processes the image mm -hmm. um, and how fast it does it, really. Um, but I think we'll see a, a move towards some more cameras that will have software apps that you can download to the camera. I don't see, but I see it in the basis they'll build it on Android or they'll build it on some other operating system rather than necessarily again having a bespoke one, which is probably a good thing to see. Um, otherwise we end up with Canon and Olympus and Nikon having their own little shops selling their own app apps and nobody doing any development for them. Well, yeah, I guess I guess Depends because uh, because the, the cameras themselves have been platforms for forty years, fifty mm. years. You know, the, the the Nikon are very keen to tell us that the lens mount is unchanged. Yeah. Of course, it isn't, but the lens mount unchanged since the very first you know, Nikon SLRs, Nikon F. Yes, that's right, T-shirt. Um, so you know, I can I can imagine a situation where in which Canon and Nikon have their own systems and an app, app there's no there's no interchangeability no interoperability of, of apps in the same way as as I can with with lenses um, because there's enough there's enough the numbers are, are big enough in terms of both of those platforms potentially for people to develop for them uh, we, we get you know camera manufacturer uh, lens manufacturers who yeah. happily make for two or three different lens mounts or more or, yeah. many more yeah. Um, and they can adapt those things but I guess with software you know really if you want if you're wanting to make it efficient and effect a fast and effective and you know, you've really got to code pretty close to to the system itself and I, I worry about the Android thing because because you know there have been it's got it's gotten better but there there's a lot of a lot of lag in some of the layers that are there in yeah. Android I guess if you're if you're taking I think if you're taking that OS and adapting it for a camera, I think you'd want to do quite a lot of work to it, and you're probably yeah. going to end up with a situation like Kindle Fire anyway, when when you've actually forked the OS 
and and you end up with your own store anyway you probably will do with those sort of cameras and i do agree with you that you need to have it quite close to the to the actual hardware mm. because of those uh, chips of using the pipelining and mm. to do it this is why most cameras have their firmware very closely attached to this and and to be honest also why they don't crash mm. because they <laughs> yes. do a lot of process rarely, yeah. or rarely crash mm. um, they do a lot of work making sure that that doesn't happen yeah. and they well, there's no the third party co code running on them for a start or very little well this is my worry about perhaps about some of these mm. uh, cameras built around something like Android would be that uh, but again I think you might be right on the fact that we might see separate stores for each of these camera brands if they do go down that route. But I think camera manufacturers don't think that way in the same kind of way. This Android up, um, from Nikon is probably just a trial to mm. see what success they have with it and how pe people are interested in it. Well, I wouldn't well. be surprised to see, to see Google certainly release a camera. Yeah. Um, and to start building APIs in a much more serious way, specifically for camera yeah. apps uh, on 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 a version of Android, and I certainly you know I would expect that iOS seven will bring more photography specific APIs. Each each version seems yes. to have brought more control over those things, more things that a camera app can interface with, even even just sm small adaptations to use the the full resolution of the camera to control the flash, to mm. access things like um, HDR and the built-in the built-in algorithms now that are that are in there uh, for handling the image processing so that it gets faster with third parties and so on. If that's the case, then we might start seeing more um, cameras which have downloadable apps to them. Um, yeah. And that could be a very nice market. And I, from a personal perspective, I'd quite like to see something like that where I can have a small point and shoot. I wouldn't want it on my DSLR. There's no way I would I sit there and start doing that kind of stuff on that. But doesn't necessarily mean it won't happen. Well, I look forward to the day I can download a lens. Yeah, for a serious camera, as yeah. e as easily as I now can download a filter, You're beginning to be able to download um, firmware for the lenses. Interesting. Uh, so that could it could change the behaviour of those lenses. Sigma are doing that now um, on their lenses. Uh, I think in some way over a USB port on something, <laughs> but um, you can download. Uh, for just four lenses um, from the lens manufacturer who is not necessarily the camera manufacturer. Mm. You can also now download specific uh, from the camera manufacturers specific sets of um, software to deal with um, pin cushioning or barreling on particular lenses. So you yeah. can that that's now there as a set of additional downloads to deal with particular lenses. So the integration of the optics and the software well, processing is yeah. very very tight now, very close, isn't it? I, I quite like using software afterwards. I shoot raw, but I use the software which is actually a, a computer-based version uh, of the software in the camera on my computer, and yeah. I find that a much better way of working. But then the pipeline is extended and you're dealing with stuff afterwards. Um, I also like shooting where I can take a picture and it's done. Yes. 
and there may be some nice processing in in the way and i like that with on on the iphone being able to use particular apps there that have a style and a feel and you can have a creative play with those still um, but it's seeing that on a big camera but is a very different thing um, but maybe I mean, yeah. it might be something we will see. Yeah, I mean, so there are some apps that, that are, seem to be much more geared up to, to shooting images in fast succession fast yeah. than, than others. And, I, and I, I think it'd be nice to see more of that. It'd be nice to see the kind of native camera apps on, on the iPhone start to be about, <clears throat> about taking lots of pictures and, do, and storing them away, maybe yeah. quickly reviewing them and deleting them. But not not about processing, and I think you know that that's really what I want my camera app to do. Well, we're beginning to see at least some of the thoughts we had before about the future of photography are actually beginning to appear in cameras. Um, the idea of pre-roll, yeah, and post-roll. So that this is a from a video uh, perspective that before you press the shutter, before you say g action, go, action, <laughs> it actually is already recording at least ten seconds in a buffer. Mm. And this you carry on shooting after you say cut. Yeah, yeah. So. and you're getting that now with um, the Nikon uh, One actually yeah. does that, and I'm not sure whether others do as well. well but you're beginning to get that into cameras. There was a Casio one from a few yes. years ago that was that was making big use of this, wasn't it? Making yeah. a big push of this that you that, that it was shoot a shooting ultra high. Uh, frame rates, yes, um, and and B that it would start shooting as you held the camera to your eye, yeah. so that if you missed that golf swing, as there always was in the in the ads of these yeah. things, or, or that smile when mm. someone blinks as you press the but the shutter yeah. button, it it's really very simple to just wind back a couple of a couple of minutes. And now it's really easy to wind back on multiple people within yeah. the same shot. You can there, I forget where I've seen this. I think it was on Sam. It might even be on a Samsung camera uh, android based camera mm. that you that you can wind if one person blinks you can wind just them back in that section if as long as they're staying fairly static within so within it's a face image. recognition and yeah. then they're taking the range yeah, around I, I believe it. so i may have made that up if i made it up i'm patenting it but uh, <laughs> please <laughs> but, but, uh, but it's really you know it's, it's it's easy to conceive of how you how you do that uh, and certainly we see this now with the 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 ones which allow you the I can't remember the name of it that does the depth of field. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I know the, the shift the, the depth of field. Yeah. Um, it'll come. Uh, and that was again um, researched a while back, and that's beginning to come into cameras. Yeah. Uh, they're definitely. It's it's interesting whether you have this shift between being able to do everything as a post processing, uh, like with um, professional video, where you you shoot and then. You take the cable out, and the <laughs> and the fact that the boom as microphone has come into the out afterwards, and you deal with all the color mm. and and the grading and everything's done afterwards, and and getting that in digital photography, but also the idea now in digital photography of just quickly grabbing a snap and creativity in the camera, i.e., with an iPhone and and the various apps, um, so. I don't know whether there will be an even greater divergence here between something where its creativity occurs in the camera or creativity to occurs afterwards. Mm. Maybe that's the difference between the professional and and the point and shoot amateur. Just well, I, I don't like using that a term professional and amateur mm. in that respect. But 
just when you want to well, the series, take a quick the, the enthusiast or the or the person who's just taking a picture to record a moment yeah. um, but even there now people wanting to to do something on it on they wanting to process it a little bit even if it's just the instagram kind of yeah. kind of approach of or the twitter approach of just quickly flick between several approaches to the same to the same image and quick and choose one and and, and just go with it Lots of people are wanting to do that anyway, even if they're just taking a snap. They're highly successful, these yeah. these sites, like Instagram, like Hipstamatic, all of these have been incredibly successful because they give an aspect of creativity quite quickly. Mm. And and it, it and they actually make a lot of people's pictures look better. Yeah, they do. I think we shouldn't ignore that. People, you know, but it's it's easy to get sniffy about this stuff and to say, oh, people shouldn't be using these kind of potted filters. You know, the equivalent to shoot to have shot have shot all of your your family photographs from the seventies with a, or, or late seventies, early eighties with with a sunburst filter uh, on on a tobacco sunburst or something on, on it and you'd have ruined your pictures but yeah. uh, but i think it's easy to get sniffy about it people want some feel within their images mm. and and a sense of something significant from from that from that picture and so maybe we'll look back at these things and we'll say oh yes they we won't say oh they all look like they were taken in the 70s with a fil and we'll say they all look like they were taken on instagram oh, yeah. and that was in the in the early part of the 21st century that's fine i think that, it's that's okay, okay. It? um and but it when you see the the actual raw image against the processed one the processed one does look Often does look yeah, sure. more interesting, a little bit better. There's something in it. There's some feel to it. But even even J, even shooting JPEGs mm. makes some creative decisions yeah. that, that takes it takes some of that away from you. You see that with you know, a true raw image, yeah. which which often is a little bit soft. Um, you know the color the colors don't, are insipid. They don't they stand stand out. There's a there's lots of detail in it. But but you know we we expect more from our JPEGs when we shoot picture with our camera we expect the punchiness yeah. of that. We used to um, complain about seeing the tool in a photograph like yes. you see Photoshop in the photograph the way they've done things and done certain processes and filters or particular ways of working but actually I think in when getting to these uh, um, ones which add a lot of uh, post-processing actually seeing it is fine I don't see a problem with it but People will be sniffy again, obviously, because they haven't worked at it to create a great image. Fine, that's good. Yeah. That's not a problem. Okay, um, I think there's. I mean, there's tons more we could talk about now, and we could talk. We could talk a, a greater length about about what the focus on imaging show this year kind of says about about the state of, uh, of photography and of the industry side of of that. Um, just having seen that show for a number of years and see how it's changed, um, but I think we should um, we should see how this recording is and uh, and then we can we've got plenty to talk about another thing on the show. We can carry on talking for many many more hours. It's whether how interesting it get, it stays after that length of time. <laughs> well, we, we split it up and do it in different in separate chunks. I think that'll be more interesting. But certainly it'd be interesting to talk about um, how the industry looks at the moment via things like the shows, um, how things are changing. And there are some interesting changes, but again, they're only small developments. I think more than anything, uh, a lot of these changes are things have been tried out and 
given a go and then it's been discarded. And I think we're seeing that at the moment more than anything. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's very interesting to me, particularly right at this minute, because I'm working with master students on them trying to think through the future of their areas. Some of them are photographers, mm. some of them are filmmakers, other other creative subjects. But that notion of, of where where are things going? What are the opportunities and what are the pitfalls? You know, what what have they got to look out for in the next few years? Is I think is always worth uh, um, at a master's kind of level spending some time on uh, one area is to look at whether whether there is a future for the professional photographer uh, yeah. what does that mean in the future what has changed mm. can you make money well, out it's, al of this? it's already gone through significant changes hasn't it so. it is interesting compared to other um, areas where digital the digital world has um, impacted it highly because it is one where it is a lot of individuals working not big companies so the impact can be quite huge yes. it's clearly impacted the technology side of the industry um, we have lost many companies who didn't make the move to digital successfully yeah um, but I think it's and new companies have come in and replaced them but I think the it's how it affects the individual is quite an interesting problem yeah and and I think there's a, there's at least a, a show in the uh, just in the whole thing of what companies have disappeared in the last year um, and what that means, what that says about the industry. It says, yeah, both at a retail level, yeah. at, yeah. A, distributor at a level, distributor, but also at a manufacturing level. Yes. They have all changed yeah. quite considerably. And also the methods of producing and uh, creating the workflows have changed a lot as well. Yeah, fantastic. I think there's plenty to do with this podcast. It's a show I wanted to get going for some time and I think there's a... There's a lot of mileage in it. Okay, thanks, Mike. Okay, that's great. And we'll speak again soon. <laughs>